Let me invite you now to stand and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26, and we'll look at chapter, uh, verses 36 through 46 this morning of Matthew 26. So we'll look at the latter chapters of Matthew uh, today, we'll, Good Friday, Sunrise Service, Easter Sunday, we've sort of focused in a short series all on the latter chapters here of Matthew. And we come to the account of the Garden of Gethsemane in verses 36 through 46, and we'll see how this applies to us, how we are encouraged to pray, and how Jesus drew strength from his encounter with the Father there in the garden through prayer. So let's look together. Matthew 26, and I'll read verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to him, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that indeed your Spirit would lead and guide us in all truth as you've promised. We pray join our hearts together now as we look at this passage of scripture, may we on this Palm Sunday indeed celebrate the lordship of Jesus and the call that you give us to come to you in prayer. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I have both a different upbringing and had a different experience in October when my dad passed away, and we went up to his uh, funeral service, and he was Muslim, very influential in the North Texas mosque there in Richardson, uh, outside of Dallas. And so uh, it was intimidating to be the them for that time, to be the only Christians who were there at this Muslim prayer service uh, for my dad's funeral. And you know what surprised me? What surprised me is here this was in the middle of the day. It was around 12.30, 1 o'clock. Hundreds of people showed up for this prayer service in the mosque. Hundreds 
And I thought to myself, as I saw people filing in and kneeling down and praying, and of course, we know that Islam is a false religion, that these prayers, one of the pillars of Islam is uh, five required prayers. These are memorized prayers, which we would categorize in uh, vain repetition. But nonetheless, hundreds of people showed up to pray in the middle of the day. Now, it made me think of my own experience because across evangelical churches, many denominations, many faith persuasions within American churches, but there is a commonality, and that is this, the prayer meeting is the least attended event in the church, is it not? It is the least attended event. So here I am of a faith, the one true faith, Christianity, at a prayer meeting for a false faith, but more people show up, and I would offer you this, more people show up with less to motivate them to pray. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, think about Islam for a moment. There is no assurance of salvation. The greatest hope of a Muslim is that at the end of their life, God will weigh the good deeds and the bad deeds, and if things tip in their favor towards the good, they're allowed into heaven. This is the greatest hope. There's a lot of unknown. But think, in, in Christ, we have eternal security. We know His righteousness given to us by faith. We can be 100% assured of our salvation. We have a God who is not capricious, not the, not the Islamic God. We worship an entirely different God who is caring loving, responsive to us and to our prayers and is not capricious. And yet, where could you get a couple hundred Christians to show up for prayer? And it is, in, in some ways, Gethsemane is the first failed prayer meeting. And we have a long history of failed prayer meetings but Gethsemane as well, and I used to think of Gethsemane this way. I used to think of it as Jesus is hesitant to go to the cross, and as a function of his hesitancy, he prays. This would be far from the truth. I want you to change your view about Gethsemane, and instead of seeing it as a place where Jesus is hesitant, see it as a place that in the recognition and realization of what Jesus would face, namely the wrath of God in its full measure, that Jesus needed strength in order to do that. And the place of strength is there at Gethsemane. The time of prayer, Jesus drew strength from prayer. Prayer is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And it is one of the means of grace that God has given us in Jesus receives the strength that he needs to go to the cross and die there at Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a place of strength, not a place of weakness, a place of strength where that strength is drawn on through prayer. And likewise, you and I, prayer is a place of strength for us. And I want to encourage you to pray this morning, but... Before I do that, just for a moment, hit pause 
on your guilt, on my own guilt, you know, we would say, oh, I don't pray like I should. You know, get that out of the way so we don't. We don't pray like we should. But then let us look afresh and anew for the motivation to pray. And to back up a little bit and to say and to see why we should go to the Lord in prayer and how when we go to Him in prayer, we receive strength like Jesus did. And so, first thing I want to show you is that occasions of sorrow and trouble are occasions for prayer. And that's what you see here in the first few chapters of our passage. Jesus went with them to a place, this is in verse 36, called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He takes with him Peter, James, and John, his inner circle of disciples. And we see at the end of verse 37, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, there is much in this world that would make a person sorrowful and troubled, and that is an occasion for prayer. Uh, sometimes we receive news that we don't want. Sometimes we receive a difficult diagnosis, and what do we do? We jump into research mode. By the power, not of prayer, but of research, I will deliver myself. I will find the solution. If I just visit Dr. Google enough, I'll figure out what's wrong with me or what action I need to take in this world. Instead, the Christian has a better doctor to visit. Not Dr. Google, not Dr. Research, but instead to go to the Lord when we are sorrowful and troubled. This is the encouragement that when we feel that way, and there is a lot that makes us feel sorrowful and troubled today, when we feel that way, it's an invitation to go to the Lord in prayer, to lament before Him, and to uh, follow in Jesus' example here. Now look in verse 38. He said to them, He says to His disciples, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Why was Jesus so sorrowful? Well, he, was, he knew what he was going to face. The shame of the cross, the torture of the cross, death, but something even greater. Namely, he would receive on the cross the full measure of God's wrath. God's wrath due to us for sin fell on Christ in order to deliver us. This is the great cosmic do-over you can think of, the great redemptive do-over. Adam fell from uh, grace there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now Jesus receives the wrath of God due to sin because of our sin, and he writes us before God by paying the penalty we owed to God. So Jesus knew what he would face at the cross overcome with sorrow and trouble, that this was necessary, grieving that, he knows the magnitude of what he will face. You see, sometimes, every now and again, Texans are really good at this sort of, I would call it, assumptive theology, assumptive theology, and, and they say things like, I hear sometimes things like, hell is here on this earth. 
okay, where's that? It's just assumptive theology. It's based on an assumption, which is not really a good way to theologize if you think about it. But we look at, sometimes we look at the difficult, horrible things in this world, and we say, it can't get any worse than that. Hell is here on this earth. But Jesus' response, the second person of the Trinity who is fully human, fully divine, reacts to what he is about to face, namely God forsaking him at the cross and receiving the wrath due to us for sin. Jesus receives that. And so Jesus is rightfully sorrowful and troubled, and this is an occasion for him not to research, not to try to get out of this situation, but to go to his heavenly Father in prayer. Those moments where we say to ourselves, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. Maybe we're overcome with grief or sorrow or trouble. We can pray. This is God delights to hear from us, not just on the beautiful days, but the days where we are struggling with grief, sorrow, and trouble. I just don't know what to do. We can pray. We can go to God, and He is receptive to what we have to say, and we can go to Him in prayer, and then He will assist us in prayer to navigate those very feelings, those moments of sorrow and trouble. Part of prayer, it's not just we tend to be very results-oriented in prayer, don't we? Uh, the purpose of prayer is to get what we want. No, the purpose of prayer is the glory of God as His kingdom advances in and through us. And so with that higher purpose of prayer, we know then, with that highest, higher purpose of prayer, that it's not just the answer that is important, but sometimes it is the process of prayer as God, through His Spirit, works on our heart to change our desires and make those consistent with His will. Now, we're talking a lot about prayer, and we might think for a moment, oh, time out. What is prayer? Give me a definition. And I would take you to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This is our confession. This is our theological document, our textbook. And if you look up Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 98, it's what is prayer? And you get five things, so you can search for this, you don't have to write it all down, but it's uh, five things, and it's a uh, wonderful and biblical definition of prayer. So what is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. That's a wonderful definition of prayer. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. So that's what prayer is. Prayer sharpens our desires. God works through our prayers to sharpen our desires and I want to encourage you that prayer is a means of grace. It's one of the ways God communicates to us. His grace, He works on our heart in prayer. 
So those times of sorrow, those times of trouble, those are opportunities for us to pray. So pray in times of sorrow and trouble. And we know that whatever Jesus received there at Gethsemane, he was equipped and strengthened to face the cross and to face the grave through his time of prayer with the Father. So we pray in times of sorrow and trouble, and then we pray for God's will. Now this follows, Jesus prays three times for God's uh, will to happen. And the three times of prayer, uh, those are uh, consistent with the three times the disciples fall asleep. So you see in verse 39, Jesus prays, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now in verse 39, this is what I was talking about earlier. Jesus, who is fully human and fully divine, understands something of the pain he will experience on the cross. So this is not necessarily, this is not, I would say, a hesitancy to face the cross. He is driven by love to face that cross, but he knows the magnitude of what he will face in receiving the wrath of God and drinking the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs. So this prayer has that, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, what does he say? Not as I will, but as you will. Praying for God's will means that we pray for those desires that God gives us. He sharpens those desires. He sanctifies those desires. But ultimately, we understand there is an end to our wisdom and knowledge where we need to trust God in his wisdom and knowledge and how he will answer according to his will. Think of it this way. Many Christians some of us included, sometimes think of prayer as the drive through We pull up to the drive through and there's this sort of impersonal process where we say what we want. We declare what we want to the disembodied voice that asks us what we want. And then they tell us to pull to the next window, and we exchange something of value for what we want. And this relates to a lot of our thinking about prayer. We pull up and we tell God what we want. God, this is what I want. And then we exchange something of value for it, not necessarily money, usually it's good deeds. And sometimes our praying, you can kind of catch yourself praying this way, you know, Lord, I've been good this week. I really need this to happen. And, and we sort of can catch ourselves championing our record of righteousness with God. That, that is not good, is it, before a holy God? We need to remember in those moments that Jesus Christ and his righteousness and his merit and his perfect obedience before the Father has won every answer to our prayers. We don't win those answers. Jesus has won those answers for us. And so when we come to God, we are not just asking for what we want. 
we are willingly submitting to what he wants. What are the four most common things? This is totally unscientific. Four most common things Christians pray for. Four most common things. Protection. That is a big one, protection. Keep them safe. We are obsessed with safety as Christians. And uh, so that's the first one. Safety, blessing, health, and comfort. What happens if something happens to me and, and you prayed for my safety and I am unsafe and I get hurt or something like this? We need to be willing to hold those four... Now, you should pray the four most common things for me. Okay? I need those. And I'll pray those for you. At the same time, we need to be willing to say, but God, your will be done. Your will be done. That we would understand the short-sightedness of our own foresight, of our own wisdom, and that we would be willing to say that sometimes we pray for someone's health and we pray for their health to be restored, but that we would be willing to say, and Lord, if you don't restore their health, may they give you glory in the way that they suffer. May every nurse and doctor who attends to them know the hope of the gospel because of the joy that they exhibit in their heart. Do you pray that way? Because see, what that does is that gets you out of the drive through and you start praying in a way that is consistent with the priorities of the kingdom. Understanding that in the big picture, my safety may not contribute to the advance of the kingdom of God. Can we think that way? Can we think that even my sickness and tragic death may contribute to the expansion and the growth of the knowledge of God. Can we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? To pray that way is a confession that God knows better than we do. To pray that way is to allow, as it were, our uh, view of things to expand as wide as the kingdom. To know that protection, blessing, health, and comfort, wherever we have those things, we can thank God for them, but they are not rights we have as Christians. We don't have a right to those things. Should God grant them? Wonderful. And we will give him glory and thanks for it. And labor unencumbered for the gospel because of it. But should those four things be taken away? So be it. May God get the glory. May his will be done. May his, the knowledge of him cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So to pray, to get out of the drive through lane and pray kingdom prayers and struggle with prayer and in prayer is what we're called to hear as we see Jesus praying for God's will uh, to happen. He does it three times. We saw the first one there in verse 39. And then if you skip down to verse uh, 
verse 42, my father, if this cannot pass, and of course it can't pass because of the design of the history of redemption and what needs to happen, Jesus must go to the cross. The price for sin must be paid to reconcile sinners to a holy God. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And then again in verse 44, for the third time, there at the end of verse 44, for the third time saying the same words again. Jesus prayed in sorrow and trouble, showing us the way that when we are sorrowful and troubled, we can go to God in prayer. And then praying for God's will to happen as we pray. And then the final encouragement to pray here, third thing that we see is to pray instead of sleep. I'm not advocating that you don't sleep, but I am showing you from the text there is a time to sleep and rest, but because, verse 45, the hour is at hand, that should motivate the disciples to pray. You see, it is our redemptive, the knowledge of our redemptive moment that drives us to pray. Yes, you should take care of yourself physically. Yes, you should rest and sleep. But there are times, because we know the hour is at hand, that the immediacy and priority of the spiritual takes over and above the physical. So this, uh, what happened to the disciples here was a failure to grasp that the hour is at hand. You see that in verse 45. That that would motivate them to stay awake and pray and to be with Jesus in the prayer that he is praying there. Understand some of the context. Go back up to uh, verse 31. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. He quotes a passage of prophecy there that will be fulfilled. What's Peter's answer to him there in verse 33? Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. That's big talk for the uh, first recorded failed prayer meeting uh, where he falls asleep. But take encouragement from Peter's failure. Though he does fall asleep, though he would betray and deny Jesus, he is the one preaching at Pentecost where 3,000 believe. He is there. God has redeemed all of his failures, including the one exhibited here at the garden. To pray instead of sleep means we understand the spiritual priority and we apprehend something of God's plan and how important that is so that we would engage spiritually over and above even our physical needs uh, in order to engage with God in prayer. So when you wake up in the middle of the night, that's an invitation to pray. If you wake up early, you know, some of uh, some out there, uh, you may be, oh, I wake up early all the time. That's an invitation to pray, to spend that time in prayer, when you shut your eyes at night, that you would be praying, that your prayers would be short and simple, that they would be long and complex, 
and that we as Christians together would not worry so much about the words that we pray with as if, you know, wow, that person really prays in an articulate way. We got to stop that. We've got to move forward together in prayer because we have a better God than the Muslims do. We have a better salvation than is in Islam. And this motivates us to come to a Father who is receptive to our prayers. You know, and I know prayer is not like a phone call. But, you know, these days, do you ever, you get those spam calls or, or you look down political call. Oh, I'm not taking that. And I want the phone that just blocks it automatically, by the way. But we, we think sometimes we, we so misrepresent God. We think when we're praying, God is hesitant, as it were, to take our call. That he sees our prayer as a spam call or something like that. Couldn't be further from the truth. You know, you ever talking to somebody and they, they look at their phone, ooh. I need to take this. Maybe it's family calling. And all of a sudden, that becomes a priority. So it is with our Heavenly Father, who through Jesus Christ carries our prayer and our intercession. We even get the assurance in Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What an assurance we have. Even when we don't know the words to say, the Spirit takes our prayers to the Father through the merits of the Son, and God is responsive to our prayers to answer them. Not our way, because we got out of the drive-thru, but to answer them his way according to his will. Be assured that when you come to God in prayer, you can come to him in the midst of sorrow, trouble, grief, like Jesus does here. You can come to God the Father praying for his will to be done. And we can even pray neglectful of our physical needs, knowing the spiritual value of that which we pray for. This is Jesus' way of prayer. And here in the garden, Jesus gathers the strength to go to the cross so we might find strength to deal with our life there in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that indeed you would encourage us to pray because of your very character, that you love us and you delight to hear from us. And we thank you that not everything needs to be going right for us to come to you in prayer, that we can come and pray in the midst of sorrow and trouble. And we can pray for your will to be done. Lift our eyes to see the wonder of your redemptive plan so that we can pray for more than just safety, health, comfort, and blessing, but that we can pray that your will would be done. And help us to put such a priority on prayer as your people, that our lives, like our worship services, would be saturated by prayer. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.